Section 7 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations, by John Lord. Confucius, Part 1. Sage and Moralist. 550 to 478 BC. About 100 years after the great religious movement in India under Buddha, a man was born in China who inaugurated a somewhat similar movement there, and who impressed his character and principles on 300 millions of people. It cannot be said that he was the founder of a new religion, since he aimed only to revive what was ancient. To quote his own words, he was a transmitter and not a maker. But he was, nevertheless, a very extraordinary character, and if greatness is to be measured by results, I know of no heathen teacher whose work has been so permanent. In genius, in creative power, he was inferior to many, but in influence he has had no equal among the sages of the world. Confucius is a Latin name given him by Jesuit missionaries in China. His real name was Keung Fu Tseu. He was born about 550 B.C. in the province of Lu, and was the contemporary of Belshazzar of Cyrus, of Croesus, and of Pisistratus. It is claimed that Confucius was a descendant of one of the early emperors of China, of the Chao dynasty, 1121 B.C., but he was simply of an upper-class family of the state of Lu, one of the provinces of the empire his father and grandfather having been prime ministers to the reigning princes or dukes of Lu, which state resembled a feudal province of france in the middle ages acknowledging only a nominal fealty to the emperor we know but little of the early condition of china the earliest record of events which can be called history takes us back to about 2350 bc when yao was emperor an intelligent and benignant prince uniting under his sway the different states of china which had even then reached a considerable civilization for the legendary or mythical history of the country dates back about five thousand years yao's son shun was an equally remarkable man wise and accomplished who lived only to advance the happiness of his subjects at that period the religion of china was probably monotheistic the supreme being was called shang te to whom sacrifices were made a deity who exercised a superintending care of the universe but corruptions rapidly crept in and a worship of the powers of nature and of the spirits of departed ancestors who were supposed to guard the welfare of their descendants became the prevailing religion during the reigns of these good emperors the standard of morality was high throughout the empire but morals declined the old story in all the states of the ancient world in addition to the decline in morals, there were political discords and endless wars between the petty princes of the empire. To remedy the political and moral evils of his time was the great desire and endeavor of Confucius. The most marked feature in the religion of the Chinese, before his time, was the worship of ancestors, and this worship he did not seek to change. Confucius taught three thousand disciples, of whom the more eminent became influential authors. Like Plato and Xenophon, they recorded the sayings of their master, and his maxims and arguments preserved in their works were afterward added to the national collection of the sacred books called the Nim Classes. Confucius was a mere boy when his father died, and we know next to nothing of his early years. 
at fifteen years of age however we are told that he devoted himself to learning pursuing his studies under considerable difficulties his family being poor he married when he was nineteen years of age and in the following year was born his son lee his only child of whose descendants eleven thousand males were living one hundred and fifty years ago constituting the only hereditary nobility of china a class who for seventy generations were the recipients of the highest honors and privileges on the birth of li the duke chau of lu sent confucius a present of a carp which seems to indicate that he was already distinguished for his attainments at twenty years of age confucius entered upon political duties being the superintendent of cattle from which for his fidelity and ability he was promoted to the higher office of distributor of grain having attracted the attention of his sovereign at twenty-two he began his labors as a public teacher and his house became the resort of enthusiastic youth who wished to learn the doctrines of antiquity these were all that the sage undertook to teach not new and original doctrines of morality or political economy but only such as were established from a remote antiquity going back two thousand years before he was born there is no improbability in this alleged antiquity of the chinese empire for egypt at this time was a flourishing state at twenty-nine years of age confucius gave his attention to music which he studied under a famous master and to this art he devoted no small part of his life writing books and treatises upon it six years afterward at thirty-five he had a great desire to travel and the reigning duke in whose service he was as a high officer of state put at his disposal a carriage and two horses to visit the court of the emperor whose sovereignty however was only nominal it does not appear that confucius was received with much distinction nor did he have much intercourse with the court or the ministers he was a mere seeker of knowledge an inquirer about the ceremonies and maxims of the founder of the dynasty of chow an observer of customs like herodotus he wandered for eight years among the various provinces of china teaching as he went but without making a great impression moreover he was regarded with jealousy by the different ministers of princes one of them however struck with his wisdom and knowledge wished to retain him in his service on the return of confucius to lu he remained fifteen years without official employment his native province being in a state of anarchy but he was better employed than in serving princes prosecuting his researches into poetry history ceremonies and music a born scholar with an insatiable desire of knowledge his great gifts and learning however did not allow him to remain without public employment he was made governor of an important city as chief magistrate of this city he made a marvelous change in the manners of the people the duke surprised at what he saw asked if his rules could be employed to govern a whole state and confucius told him that they could be applied to the government of the empire on this the duke appointed him assistant superintendent of public works a great office held only by members of the ducal family so many improvements did confucius make in agriculture that he was made minister of justice and so wonderful was his management that soon there was no necessity to put the penal laws in execution since no offenders could be found confucius held his high office as minister of justice for two years longer and some suppose he was made prime minister his authority certainly continued to increase he exalted the sovereign depressed the ministers and weakened private families just as richelieu did in france strengthening the throne at the expense of the nobility 
it would thus seem that his political reforms were in the direction of absolute monarchy a needed force in times of anarchy and demoralization so great was his fame as a statesman that strangers came from other states to see him these reforms in the state of Lu gave annoyance to the neighboring princes and to undermine the influence of confucius with the duke these princes set the duke a present of eighty beautiful girls possessing musical and dancing accomplishments and also one hundred and twenty splendid horses as the duke soon came to think more of his girls and horses than of his reforms confucius became disgusted resigned his office and retired to private life then followed thirteen years of homeless wandering he was now fifty-six years of age depressed and melancholy in view of his failure with princes he was accompanied in his travels by some of his favorite disciples to whom he communicated his wisdom but his fame preceded him wherever he journeyed and such was the respect for his character and teachings that he was loaded with presents by the people and was left unmolested to do as he pleased the dissoluteness of courts filled him with indignation and disgust and he was heard to exclaim on one occasion i have not seen one who loves virtue as he loves beauty meaning the beauty of women the love of the beautiful in an artistic sense is a greek and not an oriental idea in the meantime confucius continued his wanderings from city to city and state to state with a chosen band of disciples all of whom became famous he traveled for the pursuit of knowledge and to impress the people with his doctrines a certain one of his followers was questioned by a prince as to the merits and peculiarities of his master but was afraid to give a true answer the sage hearing of it said you should have told him he is simply a man who in his eager pursuit of knowledge forgets his food who in the joy of his attainments forgets his sorrows and who does not perceive that old age is coming on how seldom is it that any man reaches such a height in a single sentence the philosopher describes himself truly and impressively at last in the year 491 bc a new sovereign reigned in lu and with costly presents invited confucius to return to his native state the philosopher was now sixty-nine years of age and notwithstanding the respect in which he was held the world cannot be said to have dealt kindly with him it is the fate of prophets and sages to be rejected the world will not bear rebukes even a friend if discreet will rarely venture to tell another friend his faults confucius told the truth when pressed but he does not seem to have courted martyrdom and his manners and speech were too bland too proper too unobtrusive to give much offence luther was aided in his reforms by his very roughness and boldness but he was surrounded by a different class of people from those whom confucius sought to influence conventional polite considerate and a great respecter of persons in authority was the chinese sage a rude abrupt and fierce reformer would have had no weight with the most courteous and polite people of whom history speaks whose manners twenty five hundred years ago were substantially the same as they are at the present day a people governed by the laws of propriety alone the few remaining years of confucius's life were spent in revising his writings but his latter days were made melancholy by dwelling on the evils of the world that he could not remove disappointment also had made him cynical and bitter like solomon of old although from different causes he survived his son and his most beloved disciples as he approached the dark valley he uttered no prayer and betrayed no apprehension death to him was a rest he died at the age of seventy-three in the tenth book of his Analects, we get a glimpse of the habits of the philosopher. He was a man of rule and ceremony. He was particular about his dress and appearance. 
he was no ascetic but moderate and temperate he lived chiefly on rice like the rest of his countrymen but required to have his rice cooked nicely and his meat cut properly he drank wine freely but was never known to have obscured his faculties by this indulgence i do not read that tea was then in use he was charitable and hospitable but not ostentatious he generally traveled in a carriage with two horses driven by one of his disciples but a carriage in those days was like one of our carts in his village it is said he looked simple and sincere as if he were one not able to speak when waiting at court or speaking with officers of an inferior grade he spoke freely but in a straightforward manner with officers of a higher grade he spoke blandly but precisely with the prince he was grave but self-possessed when eating he did not converse when in bed he did not speak if his mat were not straight he did not sit on it when a friend sent him a present he did not bow the only present for which he bowed was that of the flesh of sacrifice he was capable of excessive grief with all his placidity when his favorite pupil died he exclaimed heaven is destroying me his disciples on this said sir your grief is excessive it is excessive he replied if i am not to mourn bitterly for this man for whom shall i mourn the reigning prince of lu caused a temple to be erected over the remains of confucius and the number of his disciples continually increased the emperors of the falling dynasty of chow had neither the intelligence nor the will to do honor to the departed philosopher but the emperors of the succeeding dynasties did all they could to perpetuate his memory during his life confucius found ready acceptance for his doctrines and was everywhere revered among the people though not uniformly appreciated by the rulers nor able permanently to establish the reforms he inaugurated after his death however no honor was too great to be rendered him the most splendid temple in china was built over his grave and he received a homage little removed from worship his writings became a sacred rule of faith and practice schools were based upon them and scholars devoted themselves to their interpretation for two thousand years confucius has reigned supreme the undisputed teacher of a population of three or four hundred millions confucius must be regarded as a man of great humility conscious of infirmities and faults but striving after virtue and perfection he said of himself i have striven to become a man of perfect virtue and to teach others without weariness but the character of the superior man carrying out in his conduct what he professes is what i have not attained to i am not one born in the possession of knowledge but i am one who is fond of antiquity and earnest in seeking it there i am a transmitter and not a maker if he did not lay claim to divine illumination he felt that he was born into the world for a special purpose not to declare new truths not to initiate any new ceremony but to confirm what he felt was in danger of being lost the most conservative of all known reformers confucius left behind voluminous writings of which his analects his book of poetry his book of history and his rules of propriety are the most important it is these which are now taught and have been taught for two thousand years in the schools and colleges of china the chinese think that no man so great and perfect as he has ever lived his writings are held in the same veneration that christians attach to their own sacred literature there is this one fundamental difference between the authors of the bible and the chinese sage that he did not like to talk of spiritual things indeed of them he was ignorant professing no interest in relation to the working out of abstruse questions either of philosophy or theology he had no taste or capacity for such inquiries 
hence he did not aspire to throw any new light on the great problems of human condition and destiny nor did he speculate like the ionian philosophers on the creation or end of things he was not troubled about the origin or destiny of man he meddled neither with physics nor metaphysics but he earnestly and consistently strove to bring to light and to enforce those principles which had made remote generations wise and virtuous he confined his attention to outward phenomena to the world of sense and matter to forms precedents ceremonies proprieties rules of conduct filial duties and duties to the state enjoining temperance honesty and sincerity as the cardinal and fundamental laws of private and national prosperity he was no prophet of wrath though living in a corrupt age he utters no anathemas on princes and no woes on peoples nor does he glow with exalted hopes of a millennium of bliss or of the beatitudes of a future state he was not stern and indignant like elijah but more like the courtier and counsellor elisha he was a man of the world and all his teachings have reference to respectability in the world's regard he doubted more than he believed and yet in many of his sayings confucius rises to an exalted height considering his age and circumstances some of them remind us of some of the best proverbs of solomon in general we should say that to his mind filial piety and fraternal submission were the foundation of all virtuous practices and absolute obedience to rulers the primal principle of government he was eminently a peace man discouraging wars and violence he was liberal and tolerant in his views he said that the superior man is catholic and no partisan duke gay asked what should be done to secure the submission of the people the sage replied advance the upright and set aside the crooked then the people will submit but advance the crooked and set aside the upright and the people will not submit again he said it is virtuous manners which constitute the excellence of a neighborhood therefore fix your residence where virtuous manners prevail the following sayings remind me of epictetus a scholar whose mind is set on truth and who is ashamed of bad clothes and bad food is not fit to be discoursed with a man should say i am not concerned that i have no place i am concerned how i may fit myself for one i am not concerned that i am not known i seek to be worthy to be known here confucius looks to the essence of things not to popular desires in the following on the other hand he shows his prudence and policy in serving a prince frequent remonstrances lead to disgrace between friends frequent reproofs make the friendship distant thus he talks like solomon say you one of his disciples being asleep in the daytime the master said rotten wood cannot be carved this you what is the use of my reproving him of a virtuous prince he said in his conduct of himself he was humble in serving his superiors he was respectful in nourishing the people he was kind in ordering the people he was just it was discussed among his followers what it is to be distinguished one said it is to be heard of through the family and state the master replied that is notoriety not distinction again he said though a man may be able to recite three hundred odes yet if when entrusted with office he does not know how to act of what practical use is his poetical knowledge again if a minister cannot rectify himself what has he to do with rectifying others there is great force in this saying 
the superior man is easy to serve and difficult to please since you cannot please him in any way which is not accordant with right but the mean man is difficult to serve and easy to please the superior man has a dignified ease without pride the mean man has pride without a dignified ease a disciple asked him what qualities a man must possess to entitle him to be called a scholar the master said he must be earnest urgent and bland among his friends earnest and urgent among his brethren bland and the scholar who cherishes a love of comfort is not fit to be deemed a scholar if a man he said take no thought about what is distant he will find sorrow near at hand and again he who requires much from himself and little from others he will keep himself from being an object of resentment these proverbs remind us of bacon specious words confound virtue want of forbearance in small matters confound great plains virtue the master said is more to man than either fire or water i have seen men die from treading on water or fire but i have never seen a man die from treading the course of virtue this is a lofty sentiment but i think it is not in accordance with the records of martyrdom there are three things he continued which the superior man guards against in youth he guards against his passions in manhood against quarrelsomeness and in old age against covetousness i do not find anything in the sayings of confucius that can be called cynical such as we find in some of the proverbs of solomon even in reference to women where women were as in most oriental countries despised the most that approaches cynicism is in such a remark as this i have not yet seen one who could perceive his faults and inwardly accuse himself his definition of perfect virtue is above that of paley the man of virtue makes the difficulty to be overcome his first business and success only a secondary consideration throughout his writings there is no praise of success without virtue and no disparagement of want of success with virtue nor have i found in his sayings a sentiment which may be called demoralizing he always takes the higher ground and with all his ceremony ever exalts inward purity above all external appearances there is a quaint common sense in some of his writings which reminds me of the sayings of abraham lincoln for instance one of his disciples asked if you had the conduct of armies whom would you like to have act with you the master replied i would not have him to act with me who will unarmed attack a tiger or cross a river without a boat here something like wit and irony break out a man of the village says great is kyung the philosopher his learning is extensive and yet he does not render his name famous by any particular thing the master heard this observation and said to his disciples what shall i practice charioteering or archery i will practice charioteering when the duke of lu asked about government the master said good government exists when those who are near are made happy and when those who are far off are attracted when the duke questioned him again on the same subject he replied go before the people with your example and be laborious in their affairs pardon small faults and raise to office men of virtue and talents but how shall i know the men of virtue asked the duke raise to office those whom you do know the key to his political philosophy seems to be this a man who knows how to govern himself knows how to govern others and he who knows how to govern other men knows how to govern an empire the art of government he said is to keep its affairs before the mind without weariness and to practice them with undeviating constancy to govern means to rectify if you lead on the people with correctness 
who will not dare to be correct this is one of his favorite principles namely the force of a good example as when the reigning prince asked him how to do away with thieves he replied if you sir were not covetous although you should reward them to do it they would not steal this was not intended as a rebuke to the prince but an illustration of the force of a great example confucius rarely openly rebuked anyone especially a prince whom it was his duty to venerate for his office he contented himself with enforcing principles here his moderation and great courtesy are seen end of section seven